Welcome to Founder Journeys. This podcast is showcasing quick and high-impact conversations about the world of entrepreneurship. In each episode, we speak with founders and investors on specific subjects to inspire current and future entrepreneurs. Join our host, Catherine Lockhart, CEO of Propel, as we build a thriving and sustainable tech community together. Hi, everybody. My name is Catherine Lockhart, and I'm your host of Founder Journeys. I'm the CEO of Propel, and today I am so excited to introduce a dear friend of mine, Andrew Goldner from GrowthX. Andrew has been in the startup scene since 1998, based in New York, Hong Kong, Singapore, Palo Alto, and Nashville. He kicked off his career when the internet was commercializing as a tech lawyer for AltaVista, Yahoo, DoubleClick, Salesforce, and other pioneers. When Google acquired DoubleClick, he co-founded a financial news business for the Thomson family. When they acquired Reuters and became Thomson Reuters, then Andrew became the publisher of Reuters News. He is the co-founder of GrowthX, where they help B2B founders get to market, scale revenue, and secure investment, and help investors deploy capital with conviction and improve fund performance. Our Propel founders have the great privilege of working with the GrowthX team during our program, and we wanted to share his voice with the entire region. One of Andrew's superpowers is having the perspective of both an investor and a real empathy for founders, and he is a founder. Uh, So having those at the same time is like magic. He is very transparent in his approach and connecting the two worlds in a meaningful way that sets up both parties for the best chance of success. And I've always said to Andrew, uh, I've shared this with him, but listening to Andrew talk about what he does can feel, it's like better than watching Netflix sometimes. So I think everyone (laughs) is in for a treat here. And to set the stage, you know, Propel has worked with GrowthX for many years now. Our coaches are trained on their methodology. They come in and do specific workshops with our founders. So we really are cut from the same cloth and, and how we approach supporting founders we're really aligned in many ways. So thrilled, thrilled, thrilled to have Andrew here on the podcast to bring his voice more directly to Atlantic Canada beyond founders that are in the Propel program. But Andrew, can you kick us off with your high-level GrowthX mantra, ethos? Where did you come from? Yeah, no, I appreciated it. I mean, honestly, it, you know, it's, it's just three simple words um, and it's together we rise. Um, and we really like, beginning a conversation with that because we think it embodies everything that we hope to be, uh, the promise of experience that we hope to provide, you know, that which becomes our brand. Um, you know, we are all fallible humans and so we'll fall short, but these are the standards that we want to be held accountable to. And even though they're three simple words, they, they really communicate a lot, you know, together, uh, because the entrepreneur's journey in our view is not meant to be traveled alone. And I think that's also a myth that we need to dispel. At GrowthX, we absolutely love working in the weeds alongside of founders. That's where we're happiest. That's also where we can make the biggest impact. Uh, The word we, pretty self-obvious, but it's, you know, hands-on help from passionate experts really should be accessible to everyone. And that's also important is this is not just a few. This is the big we. Um, You know, we genuinely value the opportunity to be helpful to people. And I think it's important and we can get into this during the conversation. It's not just about private value creation. This is why I think Propel and GrowthX have always got along so well is we're not just talking about private wealth creation and value creation, but of course that is what we're talking about, but we're also talking about sustainable, positive societal transformation. And then finally rise. and this is, I know, something we'll get into. Um, a 90% failure rate among startups is unacceptable. Um, in Silicon Valley, it might be polite cocktail party conversation, but in Nashville, where I live, in Atlanta, Canada, and in the rising cities that we're privileged to be present in, it's not just a statistic, it's, it's actually people's lives. And so we at GrowthX want to remain mindful of that privilege to play a meaningful role and not only growing businesses in Atlantic Canada, but also building a thriving community. I just love that. And I think your one holistic perspective on how to help founders, but also your deep invested interest in helping early stage ecosystems 
uh, almost leveling the playing field for founders because I love it. 90% failure rate, that's unacceptable. And what are we doing to change it together? Um, so where you're coming from is it truly resonates with what we do at Propel and, and for those who have been exposed to you so far in Atlantic Canada. Um, and part of how we're going to navigate through the next our time together is because it's fun to hear Andrew speak and it is a little bit like watching Netflix. I've actually gone through and found some of his our favorite quotes, and I'm going to use that to help guide some of our conversation. The most uh, pressing thing that people are thinking about right now, Andrew, that I want to start with is the venture capital market, the shifting venture capital market. What does this mean for you as a fund? What does this mean for founders? And, and the quote that comes to mind that I'm hoping you're going to lean on. So this is an Andrew Goldner quote. Pitch decks may win an initial investor meeting, but financial models get funded. What's going in the market we need to know right now? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I, I do hope my daughters can listen to this and hear how you say that it's enjoyable to listen to me. Like Netflix. <laughs> Um, I know I'll get some eye rolls and some laughs if they hear that, but I can have a chat with her if you'd like. Yeah, I may, I may do that. Um, I mean, <laughs> listen, this is something that we think has been true since we founded GrowthX in 2015. Um, but you know, when the tide recedes, the naked man is revealed. Um, the reality is, is that narrative has always been important. You've, you've got to get your narrative as a founder, as a co-founder. Um, you've got to put that narrative together and determine what matters to you and how you're going to proceed to do what it is you're going to do and the people you're going to serve while you're doing it. I think the difference between the let's just call it the last decade and today is because there has been so much near free uh, capital. And I say near free, not because it doesn't take any of your equity and there's not a valuation, but we know the valuations have been startlingly high. We know that founders are raising more than they need. We know the process to get it has been easier than it's ever been. We know the questions that have asked have not really been that difficult. I mean, three to five touch points and a multi-million dollar check is written. And so what's happened is, and, and, and through the narrative that's leaked out of the valley and how it is that you go raise money and what this quote game of entrepreneurism is all about is taking that narrative and immediately turning to Google Slides or, or PowerPoint or another presentation maker, right? Hiring someone who understands iconography and color palette and trying to come up with cute phrases that you can fit on a 10 slide pitch deck and really inspire um, a listener uh, with very large top-down total addressable markets and, and world-changing philosophy. Um, and I think that's been enough, right? We've seen time and time again, founders, by the way, mostly white men getting funded that way. Well, you know, the economic circumstances has cha have changed. I, I do think there's a subset of us investors who are thoughtfully trying to uh, determine how the practice can be done differently. But I think most of what's changing is just simply because of an economic condition, macroeconomic factors, interest rates, all the things that affect the availability of capital means now it's harder, means now, oh my goodness, revenue, it's back in vogue. And not just the revenue that happens to stick to the ceiling when you throw some spaghetti at it, but revenue that you've actually generated on purpose and that heaven forbid might even one day be profitable revenue. Right. We're getting past this period where venture is violently overfunding startups, force feeding them capital like their foie gras. Right. And actually starting to ask really difficult questions uh, that that should be pretty common and basic to anybody building a business. But appear to who are really not have not just haven't been addressed as much. And so that quote and my point, which, again, I think we've always thought is true, is absolutely spend time, get your narrative right. Make sure you know why you're doing what you're doing and for whom you're doing it and how you go about doing it. Another one of my, my favorite quotes I've started using, I may have come up with this. I don't think I've read it and just remembered it, but it's that is that it's not the company you build, but it's the company you keep. Right. We really have to think about who we're doing this with and who we're doing this for. So once you've built that narrative in 2024, 
Don't turn to Microsoft PowerPoint, turn to Microsoft Excel. You've got to be able to tell that narrative in the context of a bottom up business building venture that might be lightly capitalized, that you might bootstrap to profitability. And that, yes, you might elect, you might choose to want to raise outside capital, potentially venture, potentially a different form of capital, but that you're choosing to do it because you're onto something that you think can grow bigger and faster than your current revenue and your margins can afford. You're not doing it because you're going to go out of business otherwise. You said something, Andrew, that I want to dig in a little deeper on. You said if the founder chooses to raise venture capital in Atlantic Canada, we work, we see founder, we support over a hundred founders a year at this point. And we see founders in our program, in the early stages of our program and outside of, you know, all over Atlantic Canada. And they are believing the Silicon Valley narrative of I'm a founder, therefore I must raise venture capital. So there's a significant amount of energy put into raising capital. And as you said earlier, with pitch decks and, and forming the narrative is important, yeah. but it's that it's the financial model that's going to get funded. Can we talk a little bit about, and I've heard you talk about this before, so I'm excited to hear your thoughts on it. The romanticizing of the venture, the pursuit of venture capital and the fact that that journey is not for everybody. Can you talk about that for me? Yeah, well, I mean, I, you know, and it's certainly you're hearing some of my editorial in this, and I'm certainly not trying to indict the system because, you know, the progenitors of the asset class for Silicon Valley, some of the most storied practitioners uh, with the most fabulous track records come from there. And so for a, for a very few rarefied firms, it works. Um, and, and, and has worked, although I think for the vast majority of VCs and the vast majority of founders, it doesn't work. But I, I do want to be careful, lest people think I'm indicting the whole system. But I, I do think it's interesting when you reflect, as, as certainly I do, um, on the journey of an entrepreneur, the profession of entrepreneurism, um, uh, venture capital, you know, the romance meter um, has been at an all-time high for many years now. Um, for all of the founders that go through Propel that we've had the privilege of working with, none of them know, uh, none of them really feel in their day-to-day -day life that it is a romantic journey being an entrepreneur. Um, I mean, constantly eating shit sandwiches um, gets tired for most people. Um, but the same thing for venture capital. I, I do agree that I think that narrative that originally leaked out of Silicon Valley and has, if not careful, been infecting rising cities around the world um, really needs to be questioned. Um, venture is only one form of capital. You know, when I teach it, you know, I like to say that venture stands for big fast. And so if you're in the pursuit of big fast capital, then venture is for you. Where I think the, the challenge begins to occur, where the cart gets put before the horse, is many founders are pursuing a form of capital they really don't know enough about. Um, and, I, and I think that, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, when I, when, when I have the privilege of, of doing venture education, which, by the way, is something that just does not get enough airtime, how to build a pitch deck gets a lot of airtime. But the relatively boring and non-obvious particulars of my asset class, which is all that it is, no different than commodities and energy, no different than fixed income, public equities, commercial real estate. I am a money manager. That's all a VC is. For a living, all I do is buy and sell money. I buy it from my investors in the form of six services that a general partner provides and I sell it to founders in exchange for equity. My asset class is venture capital. And if as a founder, you do not know how my money behaves or what it expects of you, how do you know you want my money? And I think what, 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 what's really interesting, and when we spend time with Propel founders and when we spend time with the hundreds and hundreds of founders that we work with annually through the Revenue Accelerator, and we're talking about venture, which is only a small part of it, what we are talking about is 
how does venture behave and how as a founder can you first determine whether it's right for you and if so because we venture capitalists are not you know um, fungible <laughs> we don't all walk and talk and think the same no more so than your customers walk talk and think the same and so you really need to get down to uh, the keystrokes of their behaviors when they're performing their job to determine whether not only is the asset class right for you, but is this actual person who are you speaking with someone who you want as a partner? And, and the truth of the matter is when you do this, it gets easier to raise venture. But yes, venture is something that you should elect to do. It is a subsidy. And yes, you need at some point to go through a process to qualify for it. But before that process starts, a founder should determine whether this is something that's appropriate for who they are, who their co-founders are, and with the counsel of their family and their friends, is this the way in which they want to build their business before they get crack-a-lack and trying to raise it? I love what you said around venture education, Andrew. And for those uh, listening, I think, you should rewind this podcast and listen to that bit again. So understanding how this asset class works, why they're wired the way they do, there's a qualification process, but understanding, is it for me or not? Because we at Propel talk a lot of with our founders about, you know, being, being busy doesn't mean progress. So this is something Charlotte Murray says, our chief coaching officer. Uh, just because you're busy doesn't mean you're actually moving the needle. You have to spend your energy in a meaningful way. And if there was a better understanding of the venture asset class, I must believe, do believe <laughs> that founders could spend their time more wisely. And what we, what we offer at Propel, what we encourage at Propel is that if you one, understand that, and then two, say, oh, I recognize the milestones I will probably need to get to in order to build a successful relationship with a venture capitalist. But if I spend that time and energy and wisdom learning in the market to gain that early traction, I know, I know we'll get to that at some point and as well with, with Max, who we're going to have on, on the podcast later, um, using that time to better prepare for those venture capital conversations is critical. And I'm going to pull in another one of your quotes around time in particular. Uh, I think you have said, if you are willing to waste your time, you will be willing to waste my money. So it can be indicative of a founder behavior and evaluating a venture capitalist, evaluating what a founder might be like in the in those early stage, in early parts of those relationships. Yeah, Any I mean, I, yeah, so yeah. a couple of things. One, I'm really, really glad to hear Charlotte repeating that mantra of ours, which is really the number one mistake that founders make when raising capital, which is the mistake being busy for making progress. And I think that's absolutely right. Um, you know, that quote, it's actually even a little bit stronger. And that is, if, 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 if I know you'll waste your time, then I know you will waste my money. And that comes from a mantra that I think anybody who knows me has heard me repeat many times, which is everything communicates. I think yeah. that's so important for all of us as individuals, but also, and even in particular for founders. Um, very few people in this world are capable of doing what it takes to be a founder. So you are opting into being among a rarefied cohort of humans. And within that rarefied cohort of humans, you're raising your hand again and saying, I am even in a higher and more rarefied cohort within that rarefied cohort. I'm a venture capable entrepreneur. And so you've got to believe that you're going to be held to the highest of standards. And it's not just what you elect to put in your pitch deck. It's not just what you elect to put in your data room. Everything communicates. The corollary being you can't not communicate. And savvy venture investors, and there's more of us around, right? The last 10 to 15 years have invited a lot of tourist investors into the asset class. But the rising tide of savvy investors are paying so close attention to everything. And yes, to use the go-to-market example, if you are willing to allow just anybody onto your calendar, then I know for certain you're going to waste my money because you are wasting your time. If someone isn't having to qualify 
to be on your calendar. For every entrepreneur listening, know this. You are not only an entrepreneur, you are the bouncer at the hottest nightclub in the world. And that nightclub is your calendar. And you've got to work that velvet rope. And if I see you just letting anybody into that rarefied real estate, your calendar, then what lesson am I going to draw from you about how seriously you're going to treat the money that I'm investing in your company? Everything communicates, which is why when a founder before taking a meeting with me, whether I've reached out to that founder and said, I'd like to meet, or they've reached out to me to say, I think I want to meet before they give me time on the calendar. They're asking me questions about my fund. They're asking questions about my style. They're talking to other founders who I have invested in. They are looking at our website and drawing conclusions from the things that we clearly address as important and those things that they don't even see on the website that we therefore must deprioritize and thinking about, is that a good fit for who they are, what they're doing and how they're going about what they're doing? Everything communicates. Those can be extremely positive communications but they can also be negative references that we're going to draw as well. And so, yes, when a founder is simply, you know, uh, hearing from another local founder that, that growth X was great, but not doing any research whatsoever and reaching out to me and saying, I'd really like you to take a look at what we're doing. I mean, it can be as obvious as they're doing something that's B to C and we clearly in every perspective and in everything on the website, make it clear, we only help and invest in B to B founders, right? That's a communication. You haven't even bothered to look at the website. Yeah. And, and I would also chime in to say that, especially in Atlantic Canada, we have what we would, we would call Andrew, we brag that the hyper connectivity of our ecosystem is no joke and a competitive advantage. So there's no excuse for not doing your research and understanding why you want a precious intro to a precious individual that you have earned. And warm intros go a long way, as we know, and there's no excuse for a, fa a single founder in Atlantic Canada to be cold calling you. They know that if they can get through our program, they have a warm intro and exposure to your team regardless. But outside of that, they can go through our Propel, Rob Barbara, like you have other great connections within the region, but they need to research and understand that. That's exactly, um, that's exactly and, right. Yeah. And again, like yeah. if you think about the journey of the entrepreneur, right, using your resources, right, that is one of the most important heuristics, being resourceful um, and putting a cold email out to someone without even checking whether you're one or two degrees of separation on LinkedIn from that person, just as an entrepreneur, just know savvy investors pick up on every one of those signals and it, and it can and will be used against you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love it. I love it. I want to dig into a topic that is going to be wonderfully controversial. Um, and I know you'll shoot it straight with me. Um, I, I personally have similar, similar beliefs. I want to talk about demo days. I want to talk about, uh, Jerry Pond lovingly. He's a, an amazing figure in our community. Yes, he yes. said called demo days, sort of like founder theater, <laughs> um, tell demo days have a wonderful time and a place. Don't get me wrong. We're not here to, uh, really disrespect demo days or those hosting them, but tell us your thoughts on, on how you view demo days. Well, I mean, I, you know, I've had the pleasure of spending a little time with you and with Jerry. Um, and you're right, you know, what a treasure. Um, and I do agree with him entirely that it's innovation theater. Um, you know, it, 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 the way I've begun to talk about it, um, especially in rising cities, where one of the wonderful things that we're seeing um, as we work in a rising city um, and first help and then invest is that we're actually able to bring investors off the sidelines. You and I have talked about this before. It, it's not that there's not enough capital in Atlantic Canada. There's a lot of capital in Atlantic Canada. It's just it happens to be an inefficient marketplace between the supply and the demand, 
right? And I, and, and again, this is this is a non-romantic way to answer your question, but I, you know, but the reality is, um, people like Jerry, right? And 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 many rising cities across America are blessed to have people like Jerry. These are people who are highly highly successful in business, not in venture backed cover of the magazine, movie made about you, over invested, got out early through a SPAC. I'm talking about business people, bottom up business builders who've made their money the old fashioned way. And people like Jerry who also care about their community. They're not taking their money and investing it elsewhere. They're not taking it and moving it elsewhere. Jerry could do anything he wants and Jerry can live anywhere he wants, right? And so what's really important is that people like Jerry in rising cities around the world are choosing to be in their communities and would like to invest more, especially those who, who, who built their own companies and want to give back and see entrepreneurism flourish because they know it can create jobs, it can fuel growth, and importantly, it can spread prosperity more evenly. But let's look at it, okay? I'm a money manager, right? Or I'm an angel investor. I'm, I'm, I'm a wealthy individual looking to invest. I have uh, people trying to sell me residential real estate, commercial real estate. I have people who want to sell me things on the public stock exchange. I may even have people that want me to invest in their restaurant. Let's take a look at that process. Let's really dig into and listen into the conversations that take place between the business opportunity and the investor. Let's dig in and let's look at the prospectus. Let's look at the disclosures. Let's look at the private placement memorandums. Let's look at the financial terms, comparing them on a risk-adjusted rate of return to other options that that money could invest in so that the person with the capital can make a decision whether this is a good investment for them and their portfolio. And now let's juxtapose that to the experience that we offer them in entrepreneurism. A literal theater with strobe lights and booming bass, where founders dance across the stage two minutes at a time without even being able to answer a single question about their customer. And then we wonder why the capital doesn't come off the sidelines and into entrepreneurism. And so when you look at Demoday, it is, it's just the theater. I do think it has a place. I really do. First of all, to be able to help an entrepreneur go one to many to also help an investor who's genuinely interested in seeing what's what in the community, to find some people to nurture, to help, and ultimately invest in, that's a great opportunity to just get a bit of a taste. But it has to be accorded with substance. It can't all be top down. And some of the theatrics of it really need to subside because it's sending a wrong message right? Ultimately, venture is about buying low and selling high. And as we talked about at the beginning, there is societal transformation. There is wealth creation. There is prosperity to be fueled. But at the end of the day, if you're asking an investor to invest in a business opportunity, you can't do it with snappy two-minute pitches that have been formulaically put together over the last couple of weeks in some co-working spaces with a couple of ment a couple of mentor chat roulette sessions while you're sipping kombucha. So there you go. I love it. And I think I think for founders listening, a couple of things that are really key that that Andrew's highlighted. The relationship with one thing that you that you touched on, Andrew, that I think was really, really helpful. You just described what it's like to be an investor and how you think about spending your money. So understanding the person you're selling to. And I'm going back to our sort of deeper conversations that you and I know about with our historical relationship, but understanding your ideal customer profile and what that what they're all about, how they buy, when they buy, can they buy, do they have permission to buy, all of these things. That has to happen. And knowing that the effectiveness of a demo day, and as you said it, please see it for what it is. It can be a one-to-many opportunity 
a pitch deck will only get you that put a potential first meeting with an investor, but and especially in today's day, people aren't throwing money at pitch decks anymore. It's not happening. It once of it might have once upon a time, but in today's market where macroeconomics, like we talked about earlier, are are important and really looking at revenue, potentially even profitable revenue and, and more secured traction within a market. So getting into the financial model of a business is critical. And you'll never have the opportunity to do that in your two minute or five minute demo day. So understanding what demo day is about, prepare for it, absolutely. But take it as that first initial opportunity to secure a meeting and then the relationship. There has to be, when you look under the hood of the pitch deck, there has to be that sound financial model, understanding of your customer. And Andrew just gave us an insight about him as an investor, as a customer, and what that looks like for him, all the pressures that are on his shoulder as an investor. So having that same relationship is key. Andrew, I'm gonna I'm gonna look at another um, quote, and I'm hoping we can dig a little deeper on that customer point because I know you have a lot of passion there. One thing that I've heard you say: selling is helping. Enter the a conversation with a potential customer to seek fit, and you genuinely have to care about the people that you are going to serve and help. Can you talk more about that passion and need to understand? Yeah the people that you're trying to help. Yeah. And I, I mean, I can tell you, um, you know, to just put a bow on the, the point we we're just making about demo days, you know, any founder that takes their two minutes in an in front of an audience of potential investors and spends after the appropriate introduction of who they are and why they're the right person to be doing what they're doing, spends the rest of their allotted time, um, authentically communicating their passion um, for the problem that they're solving and that the people that they're going to be serving uh, is someone who's going to get a lot of follow-up meetings because that's where it starts. You know, the journey of the entrepreneur is so hard. It's so grueling. You know, these are the reasons most of us same human beings don't opt into being entrepreneurs for those of us who are opted into doing it because we just can't help it. It's who we are. It's in our day. It's our fire in our belly. We all go through a period of wishing we could just be norm normal and just get a, a normal job because it, it is a grueling experience. And, and what drives you through that is not the pursuit of money. And, 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 and for savvy investors, what drives you through that is not the passion to build the perfect product with incredible features and functions. It has to do everything with authentically, which can't be manufactured, authentically and unapologetically, caring about the people who you're going to serve and wanting to help solve the problem, alleviate the pain, address the situation, you know, provide for a want right? This is where it starts. And so, yeah, um, you know, at the end of the day, in terms of whether you're raising capital or whether you're, you know, uh, you know, trying to increase revenue, most importantly, it starts with that because, you know, Catherine, you and I have had the privilege to become friends over the years. Um, and, um, you know, even though it's through Zoom, we've had plenty of time talking and we've had some great conversations. And, and if you called me tomorrow and said, listen, Andrew, if you've got a couple of extra minutes, you know, there's something I'm working through. Um, I, I need your help. Would you give me the time? And of course, I'd say yes. And when we got on the Zoom together, what if all I did is start talking about myself? That, I mean, that, exactly. that would put me somewhere in the diagnostic statistic manual, probably close to psychopathy, right? What is the first thing I would do as a normal functioning human being during that conversation? I'd say, Catherine, of course, tell me what's going on, right? Lead, lead with listening, right. which I know you have done in the past. So I, uh, from experience, I know what you would do. Right. Lead with listening. And because... And, 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 and the way I treat you 
as a friend who I genuinely care about and want to determine if I am capable of helping you is the exact same process you should go through as an entrepreneur with your customers because mm -hmm. that should be the same situation. If you do not genuinely care about who this person is and determining whether you can help them with your problem because you respect their time and you respect yours and you want them to find the help. And if you're not the person that can do that, then you need to save them the time and maybe even advise them to someone who could help them. It's the exact same process. But what do we do? We sit down with the customer and we start talking about ourselves. We demo our product. Right. That's the same thing as me sitting down with you and starting to talk about myself instead of listening to you and saying, and, and by the way, the other thing I'll say is when I act like a normal functioning human being and you have a problem that I'm trying to learn about to see if I can help you with as a friend without even realizing it, I'm taking you through the spin framework. Dr. Neil Rackham, situation, problem, implication, needs payoff, spin. So Catherine, what's the situation? What's the problem? Tell me about what's going on in your life because of that. What was life like before that? And what place are you trying to get to? And how can I help? That's the spin framework. And again, part of the reason I'm doing that is I, I care about Catherine and I want to determine whether I'm in over my skis. If she starts talking, I'm like, holy moly, I got to tell you, I have never had that experience before. I can't help you. I want to save you the time here, but by the way, there's a friend of mine and he told me something similar. And if it's okay, I'd be happy to introduce you. That's the same process you actually go through when you're developing customers. Every founder's journey is unique. And if you need help taking the next step in yours, contact us at info at propelict.com to go further, faster. One of our favorite moments in watching our founders come through propel where they're exposed to you and your team and and your work within the growth x platform is when they learn how to listen to customers and not impose their own they don't project they don't overload them with features they hear them they listen and you have a quote that says talk to customers but mostly listen like you've just like you've just said and i often say to folks what we try and help founders with at propel is especially in those early stages validate that there's a problem in the market someone is willing to pay to solve and it and it want two things one it can't be your mom because your mom is amazing she's part of your support team when i had an unsuccessful startup my mom was my biggest customer but the only problem with that is that i can't scale my mom so i love her but i can't scale her so really really important to not listen to your family and friends as if they are the market and the other thing is um Oh, what was he going to say about that, Andrew? I totally forgot. But listening, I'll, I'll, it'll come to me, but listening to those customers. Oh, and understanding uh, that there's a problem in the market that someone is willing to pay to solve. And it's based on data and not hope and excitement. In Atlantic Canada, we are as friendly as the folks in Nashville that you are surrounded by. And you know, people are excited about founders who become founders. They're like, I'm a founder. And you're like, you're going to be amazing. This is wonderful. And if those excited folks are not your target audience are not your ideal customer profile you have to recognize that and it's not market validation it's support excitement and put it in that bucket because that founder support is critical like we said earlier you cannot take this journey alone and you do need a support network because it's a tough journey but we need you to learn to listen and validate the market based on data and listening to customers yeah can you chime in yeah jump in there I mean, I think ultimately what's really important before we get into the process of finding product market fit is we do have to address the mindset for finding product market fit. Uh, and there's a couple of really important things in there. Um, you know, the journey of any new company is product development, customer development, market development, and only then sales and marketing. And so the reality is none of founders that are in your program that don't have product market fit are doing sales and marketing. It's okay if they colloquially use the terms, but the challenge is the process they undergo and the, their attempt to scale before it's time 
that ends up wasting all of their time and money because sales is the pursuit of revenue for the purpose of profit. But customer and market development is the pursuit of revenue for the purpose of learning. There we go. Learning. Keyword, everybody. Listen to that. When you set up a functioning learning organization, that leads to scale. That leads to product market fit. That leads to needing to then do sales and marketing. But learning precedes revenue because not all revenue is created equally. Even though the Canadian dollars in your bank account all look the same and from an economic perspective, they are fungible. From a startup perspective, they can be as unique as a snowflake. And if I start asking you about the different dollars in your bank, and you can't tell me which of those dollars was acquired more efficiently, or which of those dollars might end up being more profitable, or which of those dollars are going to be more scalable, then how do I know that you won't use my money to go less efficient, less profitable, unprofitable, or less scalable, right? Not all revenue is created equally. And so the journey, the perspective, the angle of orientation that all of us founders need to be taking at the earliest stages is not one in pursuit of revenue for profit. It's not to stack up a million dollars to get to that proverbial level of the series AVC, because now I have a million of ARR. Right nowadays, you've got to understand the particulars of each of those dollars. What have I learned from them? And so if, if you're going to go into the marketplace that learning attitude is one you want to bring. And the best way to go about doing that, right, hearkening all the way back to the days of Da Vinci, is the scientific method. You're going in because you are a founder and you have an authentic and genuine, genuine insatiable appetite for learning and curiosity, right? You're going in to discover. You step in with a hypothesis because like Da Vinci, you can't help but just notice so many things and be curious about so much and want to learn more about it. And within that industry or that sector or that problem that you are working on as a founder, your curiosity is insatiable. It's actually maniacal, right? To everybody around you, all the non-entrepreneurs that are friends and family, they can't understand how maniacal you are about this problem you're solving and, the, and, and why you want it to be done differently and how you think it could be done differently and better. That's all being driven from that authentic sense of interest and learning and curiosity. You bring the hypothesis, but you don't step out of the building as an entrepreneur to prove yourself right. You step out and into a conversation to seek the truth. Well, and, and I love the, I love where you're going with it because you, you're seeking the truth. You're trying to identify a problem that a customer has. And I want to lead you into product market fit talk in, in just a moment, but it's so crystal clear when you think about for the audience, when you think about how Andrew just articulated that you're not going out to prove yourself right as an entrepreneur. It may feel like that. There's all kinds of hype. There's all kinds of pressure. You may very naturally want to prove yourself right, but you're seeking the truth. You're understanding because you've listened to a problem that someone has and you understand that you might have a solution. They're willing to step into that entrepreneurial ambiguous ring with you early adopter style and hash it out. You're not going to get it right the first time, but really understanding that early stage entry point into these markets is critical. And it's never about the founder. It's about the customer and their problem and what is. That's right. And being, being authentically passionate about it and not worrying about scale. See, here's part of the narrative that's leaked out into the minds of founders because of all the conference talks and the blogs and the books that inspire, but don't actually help. And that is you've got to start somewhere. Good for you for appending together a bunch of trailing zeros and showing me a large total addressable market. But I dare you to define for me with a set of objective characteristics and criteria that you've at least tested a little bit in the market as to who among all of those that belong in your total addressable market 
actually have the problem the most severe. Actually prioritize it the highest. What is their language? What do they care about? And who are they? And why is it among all of these people who genuinely could benefit from your product? Why is it that they are not all fungible, think-alike, talk-alike human beings? Imagine that. We are different. We are unique. You don't sell to companies. You sell to customers, to actual people. And among everybody who potentially could benefit from what you are doing, are you really going to look someone in the face, whether it's a co-founder, an investor, or someone else, and say to them with a straight face that every one of these people think the same, talk the same, act the same, work the same, have the same problem, they think about it in the same way, the downside of not solving it is equally as severe, they have tried equally as hard to solve it, it is equally as high of a priority professionally for them to solve now, that's just not believable. I don't think any founder with presented with that question would actually, actually answer, no, yes, I, I do believe that's true. No, but when confronted with that situation, then you have to then answer, okay, well, how do you identify? Because if you can't identify in a systematic way, who are the ones that are most likely to benefit and buy now and enjoy the value that you offer, you don't have a startup right? What is the process by which you can go about forming a hypothesis, right? And working every day with the goal of being less wrong tomorrow than you are today, so that I know you're using my money and your time efficiently to determine among everybody you could be selling to now, granted, they're not all equally, they're not all equal, who are the ones that you should be identifying and selling to now because they prioritize it higher, because the downside of not solving it is the most, because uh, the problem is the biggest, be you know, whatever those, those factors are. And yeah, as you've mentioned yep. before, that's the ideal customer. That's the ideal customer profile. But it all comes from a place of learning, right? all things being equal, right? One thing I know for a matter of fact is when I'm talking with an entrepreneur, I am talking with someone who does not have enough time or money to do the things they need to do. <laughs> that is part of the definition. Right? And so we need to be efficient and we need to be thoughtful. We don't always need to be right. I don't expect everybody to have all of the answers. What I do expect is they're going to follow a system and a framework and they're going to be intentional and systematic about the approach they're taking. They're not just going to wing it, right? They're not going to just take swags. They're not just going to throw spaghetti at the ceiling and see what sticks. Even if they're throwing spaghetti at the ceiling, they're going to have a hypothesis about the different types of pasta and the different makeup of each of the types of pasta and why certain types, depending on how long it's soaking and what it's made out of and the conditions of the air, which are the ones that are likely going to stick to the ceiling more likely than others, right? That's different than just winging the spaghetti up there and saying, hey, I wonder what's going to happen. And, and again, even though I'm, I'm using kind of an extreme and silly kind of analogy, when you boil down the behaviors of a lot of founders, it starts to look a lot like just winging spaghetti at the ceiling. <laughs> I, I I love it. And I think part of what is helpful for founders is to be reminded of what, of what you said, Andrew, is that learning how to look at a market and understanding and the way we talk about it at Propel and, and Richard Jones says this a lot. It might even be borrowed from you guys. We get confused on who said what, when, but we all say the same thing at the end of the day is understanding if those potential customers, are you a painkiller or a vitamin? So vitamins you can forget to take from time to time and you may not notice the difference, but if you have a splitting headache, you don't necessarily care if that, you know, medication, Absolutely. pick your brand, it tastes gross, costs a lot, it's it's an ugly color, it's or jaggedy. Yeah, that, that yeah. definitely predates GrowthX, but it is something that we say a lot too. And I'm glad Richard is saying it because again, like all things being equal. 
because at some point you've got to boil it down to a situation where you can kind of get your hands around and begin to make some choices before it gets highly complex quickly. And all things being equal, and we've already agreed that in your total addressable market and in people in general, we're not all equal. Well, you decide between spending your limited time and limited money helping someone who thinks what you solve is a vitamin versus help what you solve is a pain point, who are you going to spend your time with? Yeah. Right? And, and, and ultimately, that is what we're talking about when we define product market fit, which we do. And we insist that the bedrock, the literal bedrock of the path to product market fit is your ideal customer profile. All we're really saying is, if you agree that not all people are equal, if you agree that not all the potential customers in your total addressable market will care about the problem as much and have as big of a problem and need to prioritize solving it equally, then wouldn't it make sense to go through a system to determine who among them have it worse, prioritize it higher? The downside is a little more. And if you could do that, and if you could spend all of your time now just focused on those people, wouldn't you get farther faster? So rather than running around and moving fast and breaking things, and then complaining that you've got a broke bunch of broken shit, slow is smooth and smooth is fast. And it's that systematic approach where the where that where it's important what you're doing um that 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 really makes sense so yeah to richard's point even just using pain pill and vitamin which if you if you could decide one to spend all your time with i presume it's going to be the pain pill and not the vitamin absolutely absolutely and and for founders listening i think it's really important to know a couple of things is that, and i'm going to lean into our last couple of questions here andrew that what Andrew's saying, a couple of really, really key points is that really being, having the mindset to constantly learn. And he's never said you'll get to the end of the learning tunnel. Let me be very clear about that. Constantly learning about your customers, listening to your customers, where is the truth? And that's a skill set that can be developed because working with Andrew and the Growth X team, Max and Jeanette, who's amazing, we know there is a systematic approach to do this and to de-risk your journey, because back to our earlier point, 90% failure rate is not acceptable. There is a better path forward. And with the expertise and guidance and sharing that the GrowthX team puts out into the world, you can de-risk your journey too. It requires learning how to listen and um, dive into the, the entrepreneurial journey is not an easy one, but there is a systematic approach to help you understanding these markets. I'm going to tip into a question now, Andrew, because I want you to put your hat on. You have many hats, but I want you to put your investor hat on for me as it relates to Atlantic Canada. So if you were an investor and moved here, and I know we don't have to move to be an investor here. So let's just pretend you're going to look at this, uh, from an investor perspective, we are a large region. We have four provinces. We have about 2.5 million people. We are about a thousand startups and growing. And we're, we're, we're seeing a real entrepreneurial appetite here, which we are all incredibly excited about. We are in, inherently still an early stage ecosystem. I think everyone would agree. We're seeing some great um, scale up type successes and we want to see many, many more of those. As an investor, what do you see? What do you see in Atlantic Canada that might excite you? What do you see that might concern you? Oh, I appreciate that very much. Um, I mean, listen, one of the reasons that, you know, we love uh, partnering with you and, and, and having the privilege of, of serving the founders and earning the right to invest in founders in Atlantic Canada um, is we see them as being emblematic of the rising city founders that we spend 100% of our time, you know, serving and ultimately investing in. Um, I know we talked a lot about the narrative that's leaked out of Silicon Valley. I know we've talked a lot about demo days. And I know we've talked a lot about some of the less efficient paths to getting to market and finding product market fit. 
but there's a couple of things that I would say emblematic about Atlantic Canada. First of all, through Propel, um, it's an ecosystem that has, um, without ego, um, identified what needs to get done to help founders from idea to exit and every step along in the process. Without ego, uh, you've determined where you have a connectivity in the ecosystem such that at every leg of the relay race, there's someone there to accept that baton and run their leg of the relay race along with the founder such that founder can get more efficiently from idea to exit. And yes, where there are gaps in the ecosystem, again, without ego, you've gone about filling them. And, and although that sounds perfectly obvious to you, because I can't imagine that you would think there's any other way to do it, I can tell you that you and Propel and the folks that are there that are funding it and supporting it are outliers in that way. That is just not how it gets done in most ecosystems. There does to be a little more play towards ego. There does tend to be a little more play towards showy. Um, there does tend to be a little more insularity and unwillingness to admit that you can't do everything yourselves, that you might for the time being need help from others who've been there, done that to enable Atlantic Canada to do it and then do it further. Um, and again, I know you weren't asking for this to be a commercial for Propel in Atlantic Canada, but I, I really just am answering it honestly. Uh, the other thing I will say is the dedication to creating local capacity. You've mentioned some names now of the amazing people on Propel. You've mentioned Richard and Charlotte, and there's, there's so many others. Mm -hmm. The decisions that Atlantic Canada is making as to the type of program you're going to run and the resources required to run a program of that level, the type of people like Charlotte, who you're going to bring in and have run the program, the EIRs like Richard and others, who are you gonna spend the resources and the time on training to create a system that works so that you're not always flying in people from outside of Atlantic Canada. And nowadays people don't even have to zoom in as often. I mean, we are a great example. When we started our relationship with Propel, we were on Zoom and in Atlantic Canada somewhat regularly. We are now rarely, other than meeting with the founders and building relationships and supplementing where we can, there is now a team within Atlantic Canada that has the local capacity to do go-to-market for its founders. And that's something that's different. As to what we look for and why I think it's emblematic from a founder perspective, you know, we focus on rising cities, not because of the economic development statistics, and it's really more about the founder characteristics. We're looking for bottom-up business builders. We're looking for founders who are interested in bootstrapping to profitability. We're looking for founders that have less ego, where there's less noise, where there's less nonsense. I can come into Atlantic Canada and spend time with some of your founders, and I promise every one of them knows where Silicon Valley is. And I know that many of them have the opportunity today, because I track the progress, especially those that go through our program. I know your incredible track record that we've been able to create together of founders that are landing incredible venture capital funding rounds. And that could decide at that moment to pick up, move to the so-called promised land and build their company and scale their company in Silicon Valley. They're not doing that. They're choosing to stay in Atlantic Canada and do it. That's the first reason that we want to be in Atlantic Canada. The fact that the number of founders that you have locally is growing and it's not draining. There's not a net positive because for every founder you create in Atlantic Canada, you know, three leave. And now you have this net negative outflow of founders that are moving to Toronto or moving to New York City or Silicon Valley. That's not happening. And so the, the characteristics of the founders it's very important to us. Uh, the other thing I will say is about Atlantic Canada, and it may not necessarily the, 
be the entire bailiwick of Propel, but this is something that, that you and I have talked about too, the baby unicorns, which is your quote. Um, my favorite. Yeah, no, it's one of my favorites too. And I use it all the time in other ecosystems as, as representational of, of what it is that I think we're trying to communicate. And that is a couple of things. One, as an ecosystem looking to attract venture capable entrepreneurs, you cannot forsake your lifestyle entrepreneurs. Because one of the things that attracts venture capable entrepreneurs to come and stay in your ecosystem is the, uh, is the quality of life that they're afforded. And that quality of life is owed in part to the lifestyle entrepreneurs who are operating the businesses, operating the restaurants, operating the boutiques. These lifestyle entrepreneurs are the ones that create the environment that plays a role in attracting and retaining your venture back tech high growth companies. The other thing I'll say, and this is the last thing I'll say on the point is, um, and this is particular to GrowthX, one of the reasons that we're also highly attractive to the founders in Atlantic Canada is that we're looking for something that we call venture backable small businesses. You know, these are startups that blend the business values and discipline of a small business with big tech know-how and ambition, right? These are founders that run lean longer. They are bootstrapping to profitability. They are balancing growth with profitability. They're not just growing at all costs in the hopes of a winner take all category. What does that mean? That means the bar, is, the bar is lower where the outcome that's necessary for everyone to win is different than the founder that raised venture because that's just what they're supposed to do. They worked a typical VC's priorities and took on too much capital at too high of a valuation. And now the bar is so high for anybody to be a winner there's going to be a lot of inefficient waste. And again, back to the point of this is people's lives. Atlantic Canada, it's like, what if we were walking around Atlantic Canada and politely laughing at the fact that broad swaths of the general population were dying of the common cold? When we talk about that 90% failure rate, and we know empirically, it's because they aren't able to find product market fit. It's the same thing. And one of the reasons that that's causing it is the overfunding, the grow at all costs, the winner take all mentality, where it lays waste to a lot of capital and a lot of people's lives in process. And so finding founders that do want to go big, but they're raising venture capital because they're onto something and they're lightly capitalized to profitability. And now they're ready to grow faster. They have that solid foundation. They have strong hypotheses. To your point, their hypotheses have been informed, if not validated, by data from the marketplace. We don't ever want to bring feelings to a data fight, right? And so these are the things that we're looking for. And, and in rising cities like Atlantic and regions like Atlantic Canada, it tends to be what we find. Well, I think you guys should move here. So just so I say that officially. Um, because we're huge fans and we all, we do say one of our sayings in Atlantic Canada is that we have more life with less hassle. Uh, so hopefully freeing up those entrepreneurs to be focused, to run lean longer, to build those businesses with the right connectivity to the growth X's of the world that we can now do so easily, so seamlessly, we can bring you to them and we do so happily. Um, I'm going to round out our last, uh, last question. Andrew is also a, I did want to point out for the listeners who haven't yet met Andrew, he's a Kaufman fellow. Please look that up. It's an incredibly um, sophisticated group of, of elite thoughtful, mindful uh, investors. So we're very, very privileged to be able to lean on Andrew for his skill set. But I want to wrap up with a, a different question for you, Andrew. If one of your children was to start a company, what advice would you give them? Yeah, I mean, I, I frankly, I think I've already answered it. And that is, you know, discover what you're most passionate about. Um, think about the people that you want to spend all of your time with. 
Um, I already tell my kids to headline their story with happiness because everything else is going to flow from there. Um, start with the community. Don't start with content. Content is a form of product. Start with community. Community wins every single time. And for all of us who are entrepreneurs, we know that we're maniacally focused and maniacally involved, whether we recognize it this way or not, with a community of people that we're serving. Start from that perspective. Don't just build an interesting product. Don't just randomly choose a problem that you think would be interesting to solve, but really first understand who are the people that you'll be serving. And whether it's a problem they have or a need and even a want, if it is business to consumer and not business to business, and you're producing something that people will solely just enjoy, not everybody's created equal. So let's think about who are the people that you're going to be spending a significant amount of time in to achieve the goals of your startup. How happy are you when you visualize yourself living and working among that group of people, pursuing conversations, pursuing time, working to help that group of people? Who are they? What do they mean to you? Why do they mean that to you? How authentic is it? Um, that's where I would start the journey. Okay. Andrew, thank you. And for our listeners, like I said, better than Netflix. Um, we're really glad that you spent the time with us today, Andrew. I think this is a podcast worth listening to a few times over and taking notes and not only serving as inspiration, because like we talked about earlier, inspiration is amazing. Uh, but this is also a call to action and specifics on how to approach some of those key issues as a, as a founder, as entrepreneurs. And there's lots of great support, of course, including our friends at GrowthX to help you along that journey. So Andrew, thank you from the bottom of my heart. This was just delightful. You know what? It's, it's absolutely been my pleasure, Catherine. I, I would be remiss if I, I didn't express my gratitude, um, something that's very important to us and something that I think should be expressed. I really appreciate the opportunity to not only be on the, in this conversation with you in particular, uh, but again, you know, to say how privileged that we feel at GrowthX to be playing a role um, in Atlanta, Canada, alongside Propel. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Founder Journeys by Propel ICT. Propel ICT is Atlantic Canada's e-accelerator for tech startups. Are you a founder looking to build on sales and marketing skills? reach and engage with the right customers and ultimately find success? Our coaches are eager and excited to help you and your business go further, faster. To learn more about us and our team, visit PropelICT.com. Propel ICT, where founders become leaders. Propel ICT.